0: Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers, 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725, or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from South Florida, we have David Yuzik on the phone. David is a retired Aventura police officer. We're you right through retirement, David.
1: Uh, Retired 2018, so I did uh. Approximately 20 years because I was with the town of Surfside before Aventura.
0: And by the way, for those who don't know, Aventura is not far from Miami. Give you an idea of where it is. And it's all part of this booming metropolis that I call South York Adelphia. It's got a very mid-Atlantic New England feel to it, doesn't it?
1: absolutely today we all come down here at some point
0: well i think it's taxes and and the winters that drove me down here to be totally honest with you
1: yeah i uh i remember doing my last winter in new york and you couldn't even get the key in the um in the door lock because it was frozen and i was like you know time and, to uh, relocate
0: and by the way you're from brooklyn new york originally Yes, sir. And you don't have much of the accent. My partner from law enforcement today, Robert Greenberg, the CEO, he moved down here, I think when he was 15 from Brooklyn, and he still has a very strong, heavy Brooklyn accent, and we tease him about it relentlessly.
1: Yeah, I, it, was, it was pretty bad. My, my, I've been down here almost 30 years, so it, it was pretty thick when I first came down, but I'm working on it.
0: Well, after retiring, one of the things that David did is he wrote a book. Tell us the name of the book where people get more information.
1: The book is called The Giant Killer, and I released it three months ago on Amazon, and it's on all major book retailers.
0: And there's a very interesting story. This is, I don't want to say it's not fiction, but it's based on a a true, realistic experience.
1: Yeah, uh, the story kind of starts in 1999 when I first transferred over to Aventura, and I started running into this tiny homeless guy and, you know, we use the word tiny, but he, he was four foot nine, actually, he was four foot seven, but he told people he was four foot nine. He was homeless and we'd run into each other all the time and just like any other friendship start, you just start nodding and saying hello and friendship grew and started grabbing coffee with the guy and uh, sandwiches. Uh, And then uh, 2015, he uh, dropped the bomb on me.
0: And what was that?
1: So we're sitting uh, having sandwiches uh, and he he looks at me and as a cop, John, you know, the last thing you ever want to hear somebody say to you is it's time I tell you who I really am.
0: Yeah, no, (laughs) look, especially during lunch. Don't bother me during lunch, the very rare occasions I could take a break.
1: Yeah, the last thing you want to hear is, you know, somebody confessing to, to everything. So he starts out and starts saying, look, I'm um, smallest man ever served in the military and was with the 101st Airborne, Screaming Eagles, went to Vietnam in 67, fought in the Tet Offensive, then became a Green Beret with the 3rd Special Forces Group, did all sorts of undercover covert missions. And like my, my mind is like, you know, I know he's homeless, but he, he's pretty sharp. Like, I felt kind of bad that my friend was this disillusioned because he was an intelligent guy. He knew about the world and politics, but there's no such thing as four foot nine guys in the military. And there certainly is no such thing as four foot nine special forces. Somebody would have heard about it. It's impossible.
0: Well, one of the things that I'm sure has happened to you, and we'll get back to this conversation in a moment, is police, especially with people who are homeless, we develop a relationship with them because we see them every day and they see us every day, but it's not unusual for them to make far-fetched claims because a lot of them have drug, alcohol problems and mental illness problems, and some of them are just paranoid. They're delusional. Did you ever wonder when he started making these claims that maybe he was out of touch with reality?
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because you know you do have those cases with some people with mental illness where they just kind of float in and out of reality yeah you know our homeless population listen to me a good cop is is a guy who walks the beat uh, gets out of his car and meets the people in his zones so that's what I you know I I always try to do and you know get to know. and they're great resources you know these people who are on the streets they'll tell you everything if you become friends with them they see things they know things you know you can you can close out a lot of cases open cases so um you know don't get me wrong (laughs) there's You know, as cops, we know this, they can get dangerous too. The, yeah. the situations where you're friends with a person with mental illness and then one day you catch them on a bad day and it's on. Uh, I had a situation similar to that once where the guy who I knew just completely lost it and we ended up fighting for my gun and it was a, a fight for my life. So, David, we
0: had a guy like that know, in our district that the joke was, and I don't know if it's real or not, I met him when I was a rookie right at the academy, got assigned the district and, and a couple of days I got to ride with someone and he was manhandling a small block uh, Mopar engine and a huge mountain of a man and I'm not going to give his real name and he was the nicest guy in the world and he tried out for the then Baltimore Colts and they said they cut him because he was tackling everybody and he was the nicest guy in the world until went off his medication and when he went off his medication and started drinking alcohol everybody had to fight him and he put you in the hospital and not remember
1: yeah, yeah, and 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 not not even mean. He's Probably you'd see him in the hospital, and he would have no idea of what just happened. Um, but you know, it, it, those are dangerous. Those are dangerous, dangerous encounters for cops. And you know, it's cops do get hurt. People, you know, they think we're in fights, and wow, I mean, I can't tell you the list of injuries that you know I had. My you know guys, I've. I've worked with had and everybody's had their knees popped out, their shoulders popped out, broken hands, broken feet. You know, you're in chases, you're jumping over fences. It, it's uh, it's it's an all encompassing. It's a young man's job.
0: It certainly is, and I, yeah. you know, I wake up and I I feel I have scars and I have steel plates uh, from violent incidents and that I thought I thought I sprained my wrist and I was. Like 30, 31 when it happened. And now it's with me every day. And that's part of the reason why I moved to Florida. Because when you have steel plates in your right hand and your wrist, when they get cold, your entire arm gets cold. And it's just, you are absolutely right. It is a young person's uh, (laughs) occupation.
1: The the road. Yeah, the road. I mean, the the normal progression you really should, you know, for any new guys who want to be cops is, do your time on the road, have your fun. You get in your chases, have your but try to get into you know office job as you get an older detective. You know, learn a skill and let the young guys do the chasing.
0: That's absolutely right. And by the way, if I had a dollar for everyone who told me they were going into the academy, they graduate, go right to becoming a homicide detective, I'd be a wealthy man. <laughs> That's not the way it works. In most departments you wind up going to what we call patrol, and you hump a radio cars, what we call them, and you handle calls, and that's how you learn how to be a police, and that's how you learn how to investigate, and that's how you learn how to have communication and conversations with people on your post, especially the homeless people, people living on the fringes of society, those amounts of illness, substance abuse problems. We worked with them, we dealt with them every day. When we return to our conversation with David Yuzik, we're gonna talk about his friendship that inspired a book as a result of his time on the job in the Aventura, Florida Police Department. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's a huge amount of interest in true crime story podcasts. So we started a new one called True Crime Fighters Podcast. Very few of the True Crime Podcast tell the stories of the heroes that fight horrific crime. Whether it be law enforcement officers or everyday citizens, we tell their stories on the True Crime Fighters Podcast. Each episode, no longer than 15 minutes. Do a Google search for True Crime Fighters Podcast. Subscribe today for free. Or be sure to check us out on Facebook. Do a search for True Crime Fighters Podcast.
2: Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at
0: letradioshow.com. During a conversation with David Yusick David is retired from the Aventura, Florida Police Department, just outside of Miami. And David uh, wrote a book. The book is called Giant Killer, correct? The Giant Killer, yeah. The Giant Killer. It's available on Amazon. Google it. You'll find it. And a lot of people would think, David, that you making a friendship with a man who's a homeless guy in the area you patrolled is unusual and it's not unusual uh, those are people that we saw all the time every day and had communication with every day homeless people prostitutes people with drug and alcohol problems uh, those are the people that i tried m- most of my time to try to help yeah i mean
1: it, it's you know it's obvious that if, if you can intercede and kind of get these people back on the right path, and you don't have to arrest them or and people don't have to get hurt or, you know. So, to me, it's just, you know, doing a little bit of work up front could probably save you from having to get into a bad fist fight Absolutely. later
0: on. Absolutely. And, and you talked about this gentleman on your post, your beat, your zone, whatever you guys called it in your area, that you struck up a friendship with and you wound up having coffee and lunch and he, he was a vietnam veteran correct
1: yeah i mean like when he like i said he tells me this incredible story i i was honest i i didn't believe him but when i went home i i looked on the internet and lo and behold i found an old newspaper article of smallest man joins the military smallest man becomes a green beret and it's like i said it's like how could the world not know about this like how could he be just on the streets the most incredible human being who, who accomplished the most incredible goal, you know, cause I'm sure people would say it's impossible, but how could this, the world have missed him? And he's my friend.
0: The so other thing is it's so easy to overlook those people. It's so easy to, to just say, huh, some guy, some bum, I'm not going to bother with him. I'm not talking about police. I'm talking about everybody else. The, the saying society, it count. John,
1: John. So think John, he sat, he used to sit outside of a, a supermarket. So how many thousands of people walked by him every day, and he sat there quietly and he didn 't bother anybody, but how many thousands of people walked by there and they didn 't realize they were passing the most interesting human being that that 's ever you know and certainly a dangerous little human being that 's ever uh, walked this earth so i mean i'm not i 'm not trying to get into uh tree hugging kumbaya you know go out and hug a homeless guy i 'm just saying they are people they they you know use your due diligence but you know some of them have some pretty incredible stories
0: and you guys were having lunch or dinner and all of a sudden he popped on you the words that no copper wants to hear let me tell you the real story about me
1: yeah yeah well so so after he revealed it and i and i figured out who he really was and and everything he he asked me he just said look i said i said can I try to get your story out to the world, write a book or write a you know, blog, something? And he said, yeah, yeah. He goes, just just don't look into this undercover operation I did in the 80s. So here we go again. We're going down another rabbit hole. And he's, uh, yeah, I did this undercover operation with the ATF and there's some classified information in it. And it, I told why can't I look into it? And he said, well, it would be bad for your career and dangerous for my health. So I didn't, once again, here it is, all right, maybe the first part of the story is true, but here's, you know, he's not, he, this is, this can't be true. So I tracked down the ATF agent in South Carolina, retired, and through my law enforcement contacts, made a bunch of calls. Called the guy on Friday the 8th of um, May, and he says, uh, yeah, everything Richard told you is true. I did work with him. We did do this. We did do that. So I was shocked. Here, here's another incredible thing. Maybe six, eight hours later, Richard gets killed in a hit and run. No kidding. Um, the, little, the little homeless guy gets killed uh, eight hours after I make that call. So did the idea flash in my mind that something with that call triggered? Yeah, but, you know, as a cop, not, not that I'm jaded, but extraordinary accusations require extraordinary proof. So, you know, I was still level-headed. I didn't go into some conspiracy rabbit hole at that point.
0: When you said that after confirming the information, he was struck and killed in in a hit-and-run accident. I'll be honest with you, I was disappointed. I was hoping for the happy ending. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because that's what we look for. I mean, as police, I I can't speak for you, but I love when I hear stories about a cop meets a homeless man, they become friends, he finds out information about him, him or her, and uh, locates his family, and they're reunited, and, and then the Hollywood ending. They all live happily ever after, and things are great.
1: Yeah. And John, that's why, you know, that's the work we do is so important because you do got to try to get these people off the streets. We do have to do our best to work with these people and, you know, not just you know, to protect other people, but to protect them. Like Richard eventually got run over. And, you know, that that's that's the sad outcome. Um, but he, he didn't, I, I don't want to get too political, but he didn't get the, the help for his PTSD when he returned from right. Vietnam, like a lot of guys. You know people did reach out of course i i try to get them in the shelters and i you know we try to contact family we did everything we could but you know ultimately the person has to be part of their uh you know recovery their own or solution their
0: yeah they they do and this conversation with you david i remember being a rookie police and there was a guy who worked part-time and he was always borderline homeless and he worked part time in a liquor store, cut rate liquors on Park Heights Avenue in Baltimore and and the guy had a bad case of like a Tourette's type syndrome and the first I met him, he's cussing up a blue streak he's looking at me and he called me everything but my given name and I'm thinking, (laughs) what what do I do to this guy? Then we're like, hey, and he goes, how you doing officer? Very, very nice. Then he goes back to cursing and I realized, and someone pointed out, oh that's so and so. You know, He's He's got Tourette's. Don't take it personal. So he'd be walking on the street, cussing everybody out. they say hello. Nicest guy in the world. And I I worked with him for years. And I hate to say it. And again, back, I don't want to sound like a kumbaya and and all that stuff. But I I really like these people. Because you get to know them, and they're genuine people, even with all their issues.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just it's part of the job you know people go into law enforcement for so many different reasons but in the end it's a problem-solving job you know people there's no rocket scientists we're problem-solvers yeah sometimes to solve the problem we have to take people to jail but it's really problem-solving you'll go on such different calls throughout your shift you know from so many just different extremes but in the end you're problem solving, whether it's, uh, you know, a neighbor who fighting with another neighbor of loud music or, you know, somebody's beating or, you know, their, their spouse. So it, it, it it's all problem solving. Uh, it's the hardest job in the world. You know, when people say, well, you know, try doing it not for I think most people can do police work for a week if you put maybe not. But most normal people could try doing that day in, day out for six months any year and try being perfect because you got to be perfect. You got to be perfect on how you handle the call, you got to be perfect on um, your responses. It's, it's try to be perfect for two years. Then, you know, police careers are usually 25 years. So, look, we all got into this thing. Nobody forced us. We all wanted the, the challenge, but it is the hardest job.
0: It's a difficult job. We're going to talk more with David Yusuk. David is retired Aventura City Police That's Florida City Police. And he's also the author of the book, Giant Killer. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. This is the Law Enforcement Daily Show. Back to our conversation with David Yuzik. David is retired Aventura, Florida police officer. He's also an author, author of the book, The Giant Killer. You can do a search at Google for The Giant Killer, and we'll talk more about the book a little bit later on. Before we went the break, David, we started talking about policing and how you have to be perfect. And I'll be honest with you, there are times where I was not, that the stress the violence, in particular the violence, got to be too much. And I said or reacted in ways I probably wouldn't have otherwise. And you made a great point. Do this for six months, it's easy. Do it for 10, 20, 30 years, not so easy. And I always get this. They say, if I'm a retired police, they go, well, I this guy stopped me and he wasn't very friendly. And I'm like, did you consider where he just came from, he or her? Well, how how friendly do you expect them to be? And they can't answer that. Well, all I know is he was a jerk. And so what I'm getting at is I think Hollywood has ruined a lot of our perception about policing. And a perfect example I give is these Die Hard type movies where a, a cop has to use force or gets in a fist fight or uses deadly force. He's got some smart aleck funny statement and he's knocking down beers with the guys and he's normal after that and back to work. Uh, and that's not the reality.
1: No, the best way I can describe it for somebody who doesn't know what it's like to work is it's like working in a nuclear power plant and you're getting doses of radiation, dangerous radiation every day. And you don't know it. You don't feel it. You don't realize it. It's, it's the, the, the frog in the, the boiling pot. The pot is boiling so slowly. You don't realize the damage it's doing to you. There's negativity, the stress, the, 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 the trauma, the things that you see, like, there's parts of this job that are just so devastatingly tough, mentally. And, you know, people walk, oh, what was he talking about? Well, I don't know, man, but what about, you know, the guy whose who's wife and kid just got killed in a car accident and you gotta to go to his house and make notification. How do you even start that? That's How do you even knock ever. on that door? Like,
0: I, I had to do notif- death notifications of people died in car accidents out of state because we did them in person, and there's, I remember being 21 out of the academy and doing this and let someone know their 30-year-old their son had been killed in a car accident. What do you say? How do you act? Right. Right.
1: I mean, like this. They, they don't teach. There's nothing in the academy that they, there's no way you can. So, so then the other the other part of the job, and and I don't want to go too dark or negative, but I just want the audience to know what's really police work. Police work is most honorable job, and if you do it right, and if you're a professional, it is the best thing you can do for your your community. But there's a price, and the price is every once in a while, right before you go to sleep, for no reason sometimes you'll see a flash of something you saw so horrific you know that that you can't it's it's in your brain it's it's embedded in your brain you saw something you saw some sort of trauma whether it was with a child or you know something horrific that doesn't go away. It's in your brain. It might not come out for six months, might not come out, but it's there. And sometimes, right before you go to sleep and you just watch something funny on TV, you have no idea why it just flashed in your mind. So, there is a price to pay. But, you know, I don't want to discourage any young man or woman who wants to do this job. It is the best thing you can do. And the best thing is, especially if you don't like police. If you don't like police, my answer is go out there and do the job better. Yeah, exactly. we need people they're, who want to take on the challenge. If they're all hiring, by the job, way. Yeah. Then go out there, and I don't mean this to be a to be negative to people. I'm saying, try. Maybe you have a better way to handle it, and you could do. You could come up with a new thing. You know, my, you know, me, me and you, John. Our war is over. We did our time. We're hoping the young guys and ladies will will, will step up to the plate and do this job.
0: I certainly hope so. And I'm, not, I'm a lot like you in that aspect, especially people. The more vocal they are about how police don't do it right, I highly encourage them to apply and say, first of all, you've got to make it through the background investigation, then go through the academy, which for us was right around five months. I know it's longer now. That was no walk in the park. And then go on the job and show us really how it's supposed to be done. Because it's very easy to criticize. It's a whole lot harder to strap on the Velcro, the soft body armor, pin on the badge, and go handle it. Especially when it's the horrible things you're talking about. People being murdered, I mean, wasn't daily where I worked, but it was at least once a week. Multiple people being shot in the district that every day. Every day. It never ended. Yeah. and then you get the other but, stuff you get the fires you get the car accidents you get everything else and you know what ground on me the most quite often was the everyday stuff the every look I got called to the same person's house for the 50th time for the same arguments they're having with their family and you're like can we solve this and so you don't bother me anymore and you can't come up with solutions
1: John you know I, I, that's actually one of my pet peeves is that you know it's for your audience that, that isn't cops Try to talk to your neighbor first before you call the cops on. Like, I'm a cop for 20 years. I got a I got a neighbor that loves to blast his radio. I get what, what kind of alcohol do you like? I you know I buy him presents. I do. I don't want any conflict in my home. I don't want any. I'm not gonna go there and and, and you know be the heavy with him. I try to solve things, you know, diplomatically, and I'm hoping the public too. Hey, take it upon yourself to to, to, to try to solve things. You know, don't always ask for the, you know, the hammer because the cops—that's what we are. We're going to come. We have to do our job. Try to try to have a peace with, with uh, whoever you're having the
0: issue with first. Whatever happened to people just getting along with the neighbors? And if you didn't get along, you learn how to tolerate each other. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be a lost art, and and. This goes back to earlier in your conversation. You were born in Brooklyn. You lived. How long did you live there?
1: Uh, I moved uh, to Florida when I was 21 years old. So okay. I went to high school. I, I played college football for the University of Stony Brook. And then I, uh, I was working for a trucking company. They needed uh, an agent down in uh, South Florida. And I was like, oh. Sounds like a better idea than New York.
0: Absolutely. I understand. One of the things I did like, uh, most of my family, when they immigrated from Ireland, they settled in New York and North Jersey. I was born in North Jersey. They were in Long Island. And one of the things I missed about when I went to visit there was the ethnicity. All the different groups of people from all over the world, and they all had their own unique heritage, and it was something that I think was great, but they had big neighborhoods with lots of people, and they found a way to get along
1: yeah i mean I, I i wouldn't trade in my experiences growing up in the neighborhood you know in the neighborhood we we played and you, you had sports and you had friends and you you know i feel a little bad for kids here in south florida because it just doesn't seem like there's neighborhoods but it helped us develop and get our social skills so i think there are some advantages um and i also i don't want to i don't want to on florida but Your reputation meant a lot more in New York, um, that you just didn't scam people, you treated people a certain way, because otherwise everyone knew who you were. Down here, it's a little bit, you know, a little different. People come up and back. It's more transient
0: here, where we are. Like you, I I don't like to cast uh, negative aspersions on the community here in South Florida, but you have a very transient population. People from all over the United States, they come for a couple years and they leave. And, Uh, the first thing they'll say is, "I don't like it." One of the things that I think your background, my background, uh, probably formed us, made us probably a little bit better at policing because you had a little bit more diversity in dealing with people.
1: Hey, not only that, John, but I was in trouble when I was a kid. I was in fights. I was I wasn't the, the the best student in the world. I wasn't. Matter of fact, I don't want a cop that's perfect as a kid. I want a cop that's that understands people make mistakes and. I can't tell you, I was more proud of the kids I didn't put in handcuffs, Yeah, you know, that, that, that they had a, a joint on them and I, I, you know, I can, I don't want this on this kid's record. If he, treat, you know, if he acts like a, a gentleman and he, and we can make this thing go away, let's make it go away. I, I don't, you know, I, I wanted to make sure none of us are perfect. Um, and when I was a police officer, I was a kid, I did, you know, things and I got into fights and got into trouble in school and I wasn't a perfect kid.
0: We're going to a short break, we're talking with David Yuzik, who retired Aventura, Florida police officer, and also author of the book, The Giant Killer. This is the Law Enforcement A Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It has been said that
2: good, bad, or indifferent, if you are not investing in new technology, you are going to be left behind. When was the last time you considered how efficiently your company was running? Can you answer that with total confidence? Is it worth the cost to being wrong? Why not have HazyTech.com provide a free assessment to identify any potential gaps? at the very least you can walk away with total confidence that your business is aligned with the best technology has to offer today whether you are dreaming of deploying a new CRM application overhauling your technology equipment or looking to save money on your software licenses then Hazy Tech is your one-stop shop to supporting all your technology needs our passion is to help businesses realize their vision by leveraging the latest technology with the very best service no matter what the problem our team of certified professionals aim to find a solution Contact us today at HazyTech.com to see how we can help you utilize technology to increase your overall bottom line.
0: This is the Law Enforce Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore Police Sergeant, and my guest today is retired police officer David Uzik from the Aventura, Florida Police Department. He's also author of the book, The Giant Killer. Many cops I've talked to I've known over the years when we retire two things that seem to be uh, a theme for us is one is we're going to write the great American novel because we have all these great stories and the other one is uh, I'm going to open up an Irish pub or something of that nature and <laughs> I had both of those fantasies and thank goodness I I actually tried writing look it's a lot easier said than done yeah
1: yeah I um the story you know that that I did with the giant killer. I didn't have a choice, you know, that story, I I was driven, Uh, I I, I didn't have a choice, it was a, a heavy, heavy burden and task. I had a man who lived the most incredible life, die on the side of the road like a dog and a driver, a hit and run driver drive away after he was struck. His story ended there, and I, I couldn't allow that to happen. I wouldn't allow it to happen. I couldn't allow it to happen. It, it's a cautionary tale of, of how we treat people, our homeless, our vets. His story, his life was too incredible. It's too important. I, I, I didn't have a choice, but, but it was a heavy burden. You know, it, it, it took a lot of time.
0: I'm glad you took the time and the effort to write about him, because you're, you're so right. We have so many people. I say this all the time. You could be standing in line at the grocery store with our mask on, of course, and the person in front of you could have done the most incredible things and is an absolute hero. It could be a man or woman, retired law enforcement, firefighter, EMT, military veteran, and you just don't know their story, but it's so easy to judge people on their appearance. There's an old saying I see quite often, You know, the old man you see shuffling around town with the Vietnam veteran hat on is probably far more bad blank than you ever were in your entire life and they got treated so badly when they came home
1: yeah i mean it's i i i'm not working now as a cop but i'm assuming that is that similar feeling of stress of you know a country that's turned their back on them the vietnam vets and now the cops serving regardless you know whatever aisle you sit on whatever side of the room you sit on we have to work together. We have to stop throwing. This is an all-out brawl. What's going on in this country? And we have to stop throwing punches and work together. It just has to. We, you know, I know everyone wants to get that last punch in in the middle of a brawl, but you got to just stop. We have to disengage and just stop throwing punches.
0: At some mm-hmm. point, it'd be nice if that happened. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't see it happening anytime soon.
1: I I, I hope. I, I mean, I, I hope because it's. Um, you know, the, the thing, that you, I had a saying I used to say uh, with a buddy of mine who ended up becoming a chief of police, and, and we used to always say, you know, life is tough enough as is on its own. Don't go out of your way to mess with people. People's families, they get, you know, someone gets cancer, they, they have to take care of an elderly, you know, parent. There's a million things life will dump on you. When you're young, it's the greatest thing in the world. But... Life is tough, I'm not saying it's bad, it's the most precious thing, it's the greatest thing, and let's not get turn this whole thing into, life is the best, you know, it's an it's, it's amazing ride, but it's tough, and, and treat people nice, that's
0: all. I very easily said than done, and for me, it's very easy, because one of my most important priorities, after all the violence of police work, and you know what I'm talking about when I say that, and it's not that I went through the worst of anybody ever it's not that at all it's not a comparison thing but after all that what I want the most is just peace and quiet and I want to live a peaceful life sleep to me is very important because like you said earlier in the conversation there are plenty of nights where I start dozing off and, and all of a sudden I hear a gunshot right next to my head and I'm wide awake and of course no one's shooting at you but those yeah. things it's as if you're right in the middle of it uh, and like body cam videos and and dash cam videos and all this stuff that we see on the news now and in social media, I can't even watch that stuff, David, because it it's like I'm back on the street again. John,
1: John, I don't I don't watch police stuff. I don't watch police things. I don't look at police because I can't. I did my time. It, it, it's stressful. I, I I need peace. I just want peace, man.
0: <laughs> so I'm I, hoping I that maybe we can find some way to say, listen, and. Here's something else, I ha- a bone of contention for me. It's really bad right now. Politics-wise, current anti-police climate is very bad, but this is not new. This is stuff that when I was young, because I'm older than you, in the 60s and 70s, in particular in New York, it was a really bad place. We had police being shot. We had bombings. We had drugs. We had political terror groups. We had all of it and we found a way to get through it and now we're back at it again
1: we're not we're not learning from our history it's if we do not learn from it it's 100% going to repeat and we're going to go through the same struggles and that they went through in the 60s and 70s and here we are again and, and lots of good people are going to get killed and hurt and unnecessarily so
0: yeah and i'm there's sure there's
1: nothing you grew there's up nothing that, that pendulum that pendulum for some reason does not stop swinging and doesn't just sit and just relax it, it Goes from extremes.
0: I remember going to visit, like I said earlier in the interview, visit family members and and relatives in New York City and Jersey and Long Island and Queens and all that stuff. And back then in the 70s, you did not ride the subway. You did not go to Times Square. I'm telling you, you were taking your life in your hands, and I'm afraid that's where we're returning to.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's exactly. And then and then once again they're going to turn to us to to come back you know step out of the, the corners and, and and step back into the light and i wish i wish we don't have to go through this as a country but i can't there's nothing i can do to wake people up you know there's it's it's i i, I you know people ask well what what's changed and what's i think with social media it it it, it we're not ready for that technology to be able to instantly say things that we think in our brains instantly. I think it's it's just a technology as humans we're not ready for, for yet, and it's throwing everything off. It's just making everything worse. I think everybody just has to take a step back, take a breath, and you know just just start start deescalating.
0: That's a great idea. And by the way, that's not just a New York thing we're talking about. So don't be lost in that or focus on that it's not a south florida thing it's a national thing as a matter of fact i was talking with a good friend of the show amanda coleman the irish angel she's in dublin and they're having a lot of same problems now in ireland that we are encountering in america because it's of social media it is like growing
1: yeah yeah it's 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 spreading around and people see you know they see other people acting a certain way and they think it's okay and i i don't i don't know the answer i wish i had something wise and i wish i could tell your listeners i have a great idea but i don't
0: well how about this when you do have a great idea let me know we'll bring it back on the show and we'll (laughs) talk about it before we run out of time i want to let people know where they get more information about your book it's a fantastic story called the giant killer
1: so, so right now, um, the biggest platform we're on is Amazon where, as a paperback and also as an e-book if you have a Kindle, whether you want to read a paperback or, or an e-book. It, it, uh, thank God it's been selling well enough that it was the number one bestseller as uh, Vietnam biographies. So the book is, is doing well, and the reviews are going great. I'm hoping your audience will check it out, whether they want to look at it from walking through a uh, police officer's shoes to see this incredible story, or you want to know more about the smallest man to ever served that became a Green Beret captain and won the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, and two Purple Hearts. You're talking about, you know, the baddest little dude to ever walk the, the face of this earth. So it's... For whatever reasons you want, you know, I, I do go into the PTSD and, and the, the mental illness uh, in, and parts of the book to try to address and get people help and explore it. But it's an action story. You know, it's, it's, you're going to be walking in the jungles in Vietnam with the smallest man and see, see how his world was. And, and then you know what? That, this, that is my last advice for the people. You ask me for something. If Richard Flaherty can do it, we can do it. If Richard Flaherty, at four foot nine, can accomplish these things, certainly as a country we can accomplish things, and people can come together and work together. This man did the impossible, and I'm asking everybody, you know, to do half of what
0: Flaherty did. Thanks so much, Dave. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for being a guest on the show. My pleasure. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on law enforcement today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the Let Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu, or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. have got another great guest on your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.